Joel in the Old Testament, one of the one of the twelve. Sometimes we call them minor prophets, but they're not minor. Joel chapter one, beginning at verse thirteen, going through verse twenty. Joel 1, 13 through 20. Let us hear God's holy word. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan, the herds of cattle are restless, because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open, devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured, has devoured the open pastures. And thus we end the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Let us bow together in prayer. Our Father. We ask you to enlighten our minds to understand this message. We pray you'll cause your spirit to convict us of our sins and make clear to us the truth. And Father, we pray you will draw us closer and closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. My subject this evening is... Fast, assemble, and cry out to God. That's what the prophet called upon the people to do. It's a very serious message. And the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem were both in a very devastating position swarm of locusts, and in fact, not just one swarm, but swarm after swarm of locusts had invaded the land. In verse 4 of chapter 1, we read about it. Chapter 1, verse 4, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust as eaten. And so this invasion of locusts had destroyed the crops 
they were in a desperate situation. But there was something even more devastating to come, which Joel brings up in this very passage, which is the day of the Lord itself was at hand. It was even worse than the swarm of locusts, what was coming. So he issues the call for the people of this nation to repent of their sins and to call upon God. It was a national calamity. And I suppose the nearest national calamity we have had was COVID-19. But there have also been wars. There was the Dust Bowl a long time back in our history that most of us, none of us here experienced in person, of course. But when something like this happens, food becomes scarce. And when food becomes scarce, people get desperate. And desperate people, as you have heard, do desperate things. Now, Joel was speaking, prophesying at this time. And he was trying to get the people to see that the Lord acts in his providence even when we're going through these disasters. The Lord is in charge of the disasters. The Lord's providence covers everything that happens. And so the, the prophet was encouraging them to think about what was happening, to think about what God was saying to them in the situation that he had allowed to come upon them. We have hurricanes in North Carolina. We have tornadoes. We have these crises. And we listen to the weather reports and try to prepare for them. And many people say, well, Mother Nature is having her way. No, Mother Nature is not a person. Mother Nature is not having her way. God is exercising his providence. God is speaking to us in his word, and he's speaking to us in providence as well. And this is the message the prophet was trying to get across. God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he has pleased. And he always will. And there's a reason these things happen, and we should think about it. There's a God to whom we have to answer. So, Joel caused the people to repentance. And in addition to the Lord through his prophets and apostles and his son Jesus calling us to repentance, he also gives us the wonderful message of the atonement that Jesus Christ has made so that when we do examine ourselves, when we do come to repentance, when we do come to sorrow for our sins and really seek forgiveness, he grants it through the saving work of his son. And we're grateful for that. If all we had to know about was our sins, life would be miserable indeed. And our future would be dark. But God sent his son 
who made atonement for our sins. And there is salvation and forgiveness in him when we commit ourselves to him, repent of our sins by the power of the Holy Spirit. The message this evening is fast, assemble, and cry out to the Lord in the day of distress. And we have many days of distress. We have many times of distress in this life. And there is help for us in the Lord. He doesn't say there will be no distress. He does say he will help us in our distress. First of all, the first point is this. The prophet speaks to the priests in verses 13 and 14. The prophet speaks to the priests. He gives them some instructions. And he says, gird yourselves, lament, and wail in verse 13. Gird, gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of the Lord. So, gird yourselves with sackcloth. And if you've ever seen a potato sack or a grain sack, you'll know that they are rough. It's rough material. And so as a sign for lamenting and mourning for sin, the priests were to put on sackcloth, and as they put it on around their waists, it would rub against their skin, and it would be rough, irritating, but it would remind them of their need to repent and ask the Lord for forgiveness. It was a symbol of their mourning, which was to be deep in their hearts in reality. And so he says lament, and the Hebrew word behind this means to beat the breast, to mourn, which is what they were to do, and wail and cry out or shriek as a woman in labor or as persons in distress. It's calling them to serious contemplation of their sins. Their sins had brought on the plague of locusts. Their sins would bring the day of the Lord in judgment. He's calling upon them to realize this. You see, he says in verse 14, 13, excuse me, the grain offering and the drink offering could not be given in the worship of God. And why is that? Because of the plague of locusts. Because the crops weren't being grown. The ingredients they needed for these sacrifices weren't available. They could not worship the Lord as per normal. It was a national emergency. It was a spiritual crisis for the people of God, for the Old Testament church of God. And it would be for us if we were not able to assemble and worship together. And this is what was happening then. Would you mourn if you couldn't come to public worship with God's people. Would it bother you that much? Some people like to take a, a day off from the Lord, a day off from church. But the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. And these people could not do that at that time. You know, we, we have a question that we ask when the work week begins, when we go back to work on Mondays or whenever we go back to work. Workers ask each other, well, how was your weekend? What did you do? And in North Carolina, there are two wonderful things to do on the weekend. Go to the beach or go to the mountains. Those are two wonderful things people can do to relax and enjoy themselves. And when we ask a Christian, what did you do over the weekend? How did you enjoy the weekend? The Christian can always say, I was so blessed to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. It was a terrific blessing to be with my God. But these people at that time could not do that. And so God is saying to them, and the prophet from the Lord is saying to them, take inventory of your lives. Notice what is happening. Understand that this is due to your sins. Every catastrophe that happens is not due to our sin. But this was. This one was. And God speaks to us in his providence. Lament and mourn for your sins. And turn to the Lord for forgiveness. Don't ignore them. Don't deny them. Don't justify them. Treat them honestly. This is what they were to do. So the prophet tells the priests, gird yourselves, lament, and wail. But he also tells them, call an assembly for fasting. In verse 14, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. You're not able to worship as normal, but you can come to the house of the Lord and fast. Call the elders, all the inhabitants, of the whole community. Everyone is to gather at the house of the Lord. And so don't do your normal work. Suspend that. This is a special time of worship. And fast. Fast, he says. This is a time so serious that you need to not even think about food. You need to concentrate on what's going on and what has caused it, what's going on in your own life, confess your sins and seek forgiveness. So go without food at this time. This will help you as a spiritual discipline to concentrate on your prayers and your meeting with the Lord so that you can be right with him again. Verse 14 says, Cry out to the Lord. At the end of the verse, cry out to the Lord. The Hebrew word here behind this translation means to cry out with a loud voice. You see your sins are so serious that you cry out. Sometimes crying out loudly comes out spontaneously. You hurt yourself. You cut yourself. You may cry out 
you see something extraordinary, you may cry out. And at this time, this prayer is so serious that you cry out to the Lord. A time of urgent supplication to the Lord. We are suppliants. We are poor and miserable and weak. And we seek the Lord's help because we know he can help us. This is what they're called to do. Now, I brought with me this evening this special book to all officers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Book of Church Order of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, composed of three parts, and one of those parts is the Directory for, pub for the Public Worship of God. And Chapter 5 in the Directory for the Public Worship of God for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church has a heading which says, Special Occasions of Public Worship. And what might those be? Under the gospel, we're commanded to keep no other particular day holy except the Lord's day. Nevertheless, God's people may observe special occasions as the dispensation of God's providence and minister cause and opportunity. Such observance is both consonant with scripture and pastorally appropriate. Section A of this chapter is on prayer and fasting. With great and notable calamities, when great and notable calamities come upon or threaten the church, community, or nation, when judgment is deserved because of sin, when people seek some special blessing from the Lord or when a pastor is to be ordained or installed, it is fitting that the people of God engage in times of solemn prayer and fasting. Now, did you know that was there? Did you know that actually Presbyterian churches pray and fast? We might have thought that's something ancient. Prayer and fasting may be observed by private individuals and families at their discretion or by the church at the discretion of the appropriate judicatory. And in the congregation, that would be the session. If the civil authority calls for a time of prayer and fasting that the judicatories of the church deem to be in harmony with the scriptures, they should consider issuing a call to their members. Public notice is to be given before the time of prayer and fasting to enable persons to order their temporal affairs so that they can participate. In my last pastorate, we called a day of prayer and fasting before an election, before the nation went to vote. And then there's this final section. It is especially appropriate on days of prayer and fasting called by the church that the people of God gather for a time of prayer, the singing of psalms and hymns, and the reading and preaching of the word of God. Let them lament their distress or unworthiness before the Lord confess their sins, humbly implore the Lord for deliverance from the judgment present or imminent, or for the blessing sought, and commit themselves anew to the faithful service of the Lord their God. It is fitting on such days that God's people abstain from food and from such activities 
as may distract from their solemn engagement in prayer. And as the people of God in ancient days fasted, so can we today. You may remember that in Acts chapter 10, the events surrounding a man named Cornelius are recorded, a Gentile. A Gentile who was brought to faith in Christ. This was a big thing because the gospel was just being thrown wide open to Gentiles. And Gentiles were beginning to come in more and more after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here was Cornelius who was a devoted man. And he was praying to God. And he was fasting. As he fasted and prayed, a message came to him to call for the Apostle Peter, which he did. And the Apostle Peter had a vision from the Lord. He got a message too. And he went there and preached to Cornelius and other Gentiles who were converted, who were saved through the preaching of the word. Involved in that was prayer and fasting. And you may remember in Acts chapter 13, the leaders in the church in Antioch got together and prayed and fasted. And the Spirit spoke to them and said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts 13, verse 2. And then the leaders of the church fasted and prayed some more. And they sent Barnabas and Saul off on their missionary journey. Jesus said, in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. And surely I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to, be, to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father season secret will reward you Matthew 6 16 through 18 Jesus assumed that his followers would fast not then not while he was present with them but later when he had departed from them so first of all the prophet speaks to the priests and tells them, assemble and fast. Secondly, assemble and fast because the day of the Lord is near in verses 15 through 18. Besides the immediate crisis of the plague of locusts, there is coming the day of the Lord. And so, verse 15 says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Verse 15. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. It is a day of judgment. When the Lord shows the people that there must be 
punishment for sin. There must be discipline for sin. Such as when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, that was a day of the Lord's judgment. And there were several of them, of course. And the people of Joel's day would face judgment if they did not repent. The, the invasion of locusts was a warning. The day of the Lord was near. And there were certain indications. Verse 16, is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. So again, the ingredients for the sacrifices were not available. The food was cut off from the house of the Lord. They could not worship as normal. And joy and gladness is gone from the house of our God. It, there's one message here. There is joy and gladness in worshiping the Lord. Uh, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There should be always a sense of joy when we come to meet with the Lord, knowing his salvation, knowing all that he's done for us, knowing what's in store for us. But the joy and gladness was cut off because there was this famine due to the plague of locusts. And they could not worship as normal. And verse 17, the seed shrivels under the clods. The seeds weren't producing. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down. But the grain is withered. And so there was no need to, to keep up the granaries in the storehouses because there was nothing to store there. It was a very sad time. And then verse 18, how the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. Our sins, human sin, affects the creation. Even the animals. When Adam sinned, God said, curse is the ground for your sake. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 about creation groaning, creation longing, because the creation has been cursed due to our sin. And even going down to the cattle and sheep and the animals, they see the effects of human sin. They experience that effect. So with all this going on, God is telling them through his prophet to think. Think about what's going on around you. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Ecclesiastes 7.14 So when things are not going so well, the Lord says, consider, think about it. Why is it? What's going on? Take an inventory of your life. In fact, God made it explicit in Deuteronomy 28 where the blessings for obedience 
the curses for disobedience are recounted. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 38, you shall carry much seed out to the field and gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. Deuteronomy 28, verse 38. So judgment is sure to come to Judah in the form of an invading army, perhaps. Certainly judgment from God. So we should think about our own lives. Is there anything that has come into your life that has hindered your private worship? Your being involved in corporate worship? Your family worship? What is that? Why has that happened? Is there anything you can do about it? Sometimes there's not. Sometimes it just happens. But sometimes we're doing something we should not be doing. And again, let me reiterate, not every hardship in life is due directly to a sin I have committed or you have committed. So we need to understand that. But at the same time, we need to look at our own lives. Is there anything you can do about this to remedy the situation? Is there anything God is telling you and has told you in his word that you need to do to remedy this situation? Is something out of order in your life or in the family or in your neighbor's life that could be helped? Well, and speaking of the day of the Lord, there is a final day of the Lord, of course. And the Lord Jesus Christ will descend. He will descend for a second time. And every eye will see him. And every person who has ever lived in the world will be judged. And that is the day of the Lord. And at that time, it'll be too late to repent. At that time, your judgment and mine will take place. And at that time, the wicked who have rejected Christ, who have refused the gospel, who have gone their own way, will be told, depart from me. You evildoers, I never knew you. Go into the place prepared for you and the devil, the place of torment forever and ever. And that will be the saddest day of their lives. And it will lead to an eternity that no one wants in their right mind. And to the others who have by grace and by the power of the Spirit trusted in Jesus Christ and repented of their sins, the Lord will say, Welcome, my children. Come into this place prepared for you by my Father, a place of everlasting joy and no mixture of heartache and sorrow, 
forever and ever. Enter the joy of your Lord. Yes, that day is coming. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 And we can only do good when we're born again by the Spirit of God and he does it through us. Yes, the day of the Lord was near and Joel was telling them about that. Thirdly, the prophet tells them, cry out to the Lord in verses 19 and 20. In verse 19, he says, O Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. So the prophet himself prays. He cries out to the Lord to cry loudly, to weep, lament. This again is an intense prayer. It's not a barely mumbled, sleepy prayer. Cry out to the Lord God in prayer. Sincere fervency is in this prayer. Cry to the Lord because, Joel says, the fire has devoured the open pastures. A flame has burned all the trees of the field. The locusts came. There was famine. The flame came. The fire came. This is a desperate situation. It calls for prayer. It calls for us to call to God for help. In verse 20 again, the beasts of the field also cry out to you. They're moaning. They're crying out. For the water brooks are dried up and fires devour the open pastures. What will they do? They will starve. It's a desperate, desperate time. The famine had affected the plant life. On page 851 in our Confession of Faith in the Red Trinity Hymnal, page 851, we have chapter 5 in the Confession of Faith, section 5. Chapter 5, section 5, page 851. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God that oftentimes, oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. The Lord sometimes brings these seasons upon us individually or, or for the family or for the congregation, for the nation. He does this for a purpose. He works things out for good in the end to his people. They're painful. They're difficult but he uses them for our good and his glory. And as you read through the Old Testament, 
how many times do we read God reminding his people what he told them before they entered the promised land. He told them, drive all the people out because they will tempt you to follow their gods. And if you forsake me, you will be chastised. How many times did the Lord remind them that he had told them before they went there? Time and time again, you read it over and over again. The Old Testament, when you get, when you get to the prophets, Isaiah, and to the end of the Old Testament, it's just like, wow. They didn't learn very much, did they? Did I? I'm slow to learn, too. Because God gives us every indication we need to know that we must repent. So cry out to the Lord. In your crises, cry out to the Lord. Regularly, cry out to the Lord. Morning, noon, and night, cry out to the Lord. Because you need him. And I need him every hour. The prophet is saying, deal with your sins. I know it's it's such a such a negative message. But he says, I will forgive you. I made provision by sacrificing my son my only begotten son. He paid for your sins. Trust in him. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly, not because you have such self-confidence and you've accomplished so much. Come boldly because you have a great high priest who's accomplished everything for you. Come boldly and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for being honest with us in your word about our sin. And we thank you for telling us about your son's work to save us. Oh Lord, help us realize the seriousness and wickedness of our sins. But Lord, also make us realize the greatness, the completeness of the salvation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Father, by your spirit, let us walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen.